Good afternoon, everybody. Um, thanks very much, Katrina. Uh, my name is John Concanon, and my role is the director of the Creative Ireland programme. And I'll just give a little few minutes about what that's all about as, as a setup um, uh, to, this, to, the, to the panel. Uh, we have a great panel here today uh, from across the world. Uh, we have Aidan Connolly from New York and Milltown. Uh, we have Ethna Constantine from Ottawa and East Cork. And we have uh, Pat Daly from uh, GA and Waterford. <laughs> so basically we want to talk about really the role of culture, what's happening in the international dynamic with our diaspora, our communication uh, both ways, and also what it oversees how the our diaspora and how the Irish abroad are communicating with themselves. Uh, the most important thing in this whole panel is for to, we want to have a dialogue with people to get questions. Uh, there is prizes for the best answers and the best questions, best answers and the best questions, and uh, Katrina will be giving them out later on. Uh, <laughs> so I suppose to start off, the uh, Creative Ireland programme is the legacy programme of the 2016 centenary year. And uh, my job was, uh, uh, about three years ago, I was uh, uh, started out the journey of putting together a program for the centenary program uh, for Ireland. And uh, uh, I, it, was, it was a brilliant, I was delighted to be asked to do that. It was a great opportunity to, I thought it was, you know, this is a real sense of a pivot point for the country, a sense of positivity and hope and optimism of all the things that we could do for the year ahead. And that lasted about ten minutes. Uh, because um, <laughs> what I had no idea, not being a historian, was the um, was the, just the enormous uh, emotion around the whole 1916. And uh, so when we started the project, we had you know the relatives of 1916. I know there's some people here that were part of the Relatives Association, uh, which we worked with very well in due course. But at the outset, the, the relatives self-organised to boycott a lot of the government events. The government itself, the, the political parties were very divided. We had, um, uh, you know, the, the, say the founding fathers, James Connolly was in the GPO, uh, Liam Cosgrave from the Fine Gael was in the GPO, Eamon de Valera, Fianna Fáil was down the road in Boland's Middle, so very invested in it. The academic community very divided, the media very divided. So it was really what we would describe as relentless negativity. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And, but anyway, it, it came good in the end. It was a great, great year for Ireland and a great year for Ireland here and internationally. And um, so when, when the Taoiseach and the government said at the middle of last year, said, look, we, we need, this, was, this went really well, the year went really well, so where do we go from here? What, do we have a legacy coming out of it? So we talked to hundreds of uh, organisations, we talked to all our missions overseas, and uh, we asked people, what should we do? And it, should we do anything as a follow-on from this? And what would the conclusion was that, you know, what was a really potentially tricky year for Ireland? came really good because of just the sheer multiplicity of cultural activity that happened, uh, be that street theatre, drama, TV drama, documentaries, uh, concerts, reenactments, debates, and it all came together to really help people get involved and wherever they felt appropriate to get involved, to, to, to get involved, whatever narrative suited them. Uh, and uh, we demonstrated conclusively the centrality of, of culture to the well-being of the country. So the consequence of that is the government decided, well, let's have a new programme called Creative Ireland. Uh, and the, the, the take out of that is that we want to do, well, it's a five-year programme. Uh, the Taoiseach announced it in, in December. And there's five things we're, we're going to do, uh, we're planning to do. First of all, uh, is enable the creative potential of every child. 
Uh, and that means what we're saying is every child in Ireland will have access to music, art, drama, coding, tuition and experiences. We'll be the first country in the world to do that. And that really came from the central role of children in the whole centenary. The second um, objective is to, have the, uh, to really uh, uh, have a culture and creative plans for every com community. And we've just finished uh, thir 38 meetings all over the country. We've been in New York, we've been in Washington uh, and, and so on, talking to our community about this. We have plans for everywhere. Thirdly is a capital programme. And fourthly is around uh, really focusing on one sector in particular, and Minister Humphreys will host a big meeting in Kilmainham tomorrow with um, the screen sector. And we're going to finish off uh, this, this piece with one of our, with our filmmakers here showing us a, a one, of our, one of our pieces. But uh, is the sense that in 2016, the, the screen sector was, was a great uh, positive. We had um, a TV drama, a documentary, for example, we produced with Notre Dame. Um, you know, it was a major audience here, over 400,000 people watched it, the biggest ever audience for a documentary in, in Ireland. But the great thing is it's been on 160 stations around the world, 50 million people all over the world have watched that story. So now the second phase of development is happening there. Breen and the German, they're from Notre Dame, led that brilliant, brilliant project. And the final um, strand is about unifying our global reputation around culture and creativity. And what we're saying is, look, there's brilliant work happens sectorally. You know of the likes of the IDA and Enterprise Ireland and Culture Ireland, Christine Sisk is here, all do a brilliant job. The challenge for us is to join it up and create a sense of overall what does Ireland stand for. And our conclusion was really that, that, that Ireland, uh, what makes us different and makes us special is our culture, it's our creativity. Uh, so the Taoiseach around St. Patrick's Day in Washington launched a new website for Ireland.ie which really brings it all together and talks about Ireland as, first and foremost, uh, as a great place to be, a great place to live because of our culture and creativity. Not, not without its problems, but a great place in terms of our culture, our creativity. And that then in turn makes it a great place to, to visit and to invest in and to study in. And that notion of uh, talking about ourselves internationally about a, a culture and creative place is, is really where we're going now. And that, that message on St. Patrick's Day went, landed very well. Um, in terms of the centenary year internationally, we had about four, three and a half thousand, four thousand events here in Ireland. But we had a thousand events in a hundred cities around the world as well. And I was lucky enough to accompany Minister Flanagan when he launched the North American programme in New York in, in, in early, early 2016. And I was expecting, to be honest with you, most of the people in New York to be saying to me, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, coming back for the centenary and coming for this, that, and the other thing. But they weren't. Very few people said, no, no. What they were saying is, this is what we're doing in Texas. This is what we're doing in Boston. This is what we're doing in Chicago. So there's a real sense of pride in what's happening in the community themselves, in their own community. Um, and I know Ethan's going to talk about Ottawa 150 in a little while, and just the notion that sometimes when we're in Ireland, we think it's all about the relationship over and back, but the, the, one of the things we want to talk about today is about the, the, what happens in, all, in, in around the world as well. So um, we're going to shortly ask each of the panellists to introduce themselves. Before I do, I want to play, with, play for you a little clip that we produced for St. Patrick's Day, uh, which was directed by Ruin Mangan, the guy who actually coincidentally made that 1916 documentary we were talking about. Uh, and what we did here was really try and talk about Ireland uh, in, internationally as a, as a place of culture, creativity, and creativity in its broadest sense. Yes, it's the visual arts, it's performing arts, but it's much more than that. And you see we have people, uh, there's Eski written from the Minister's Constituent, completely coincidental minister, I have to say, uh, who, who's, <laughs> and uh, she's talking about just surfing a creative endeavour and coding. And, 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 we, and so we, the Taoiseach put this on, put this on, on, on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, online and within uh, 10 days over 2 million people liked and shared this all over the world, primarily our diaspora people who have an affinity for Ireland they said this represents 
a very positive perspective on who we are. So this is kind of how we're talking, as, and we've just started this program. We'd like to hear your response. So maybe before going any further, we'll just have a quick look at that, and, and we'll play that for you, and then we'll, we'll switch over and uh, ask uh, Des to, to, to give an introduction. This is Ireland. A seedbed of imagination where ideas are born and flourish. An island on the edge. From here, everything looks different. We reach out to the world with optimism and belief in the power of creativity. Our history taught us resilience. Our struggles gave us strength. Our culture taught us independence of mind. Our Irish language gave us wit. We are free in spirit, wild at heart, ancient and modern. We are curious. We treasure the sacred trust of learning. Our soul takes flight through music, dance and story. Film, words and song. Our culture is our life. Our creators, our lifeblood. We value the verbally playful at the highest level. There's so much amazing work that bubbles up out of our society. It's nourishing spiritually, emotionally, intellectually. One of the important things is that willingness to be surprised, to invite people to bring their own ideas and stretch themselves further than they thought that they would go before, so that we create something new together. I love the look into the old and embracing the future, and Tweed is so intrinsically Irish rugged and real and raw. It's a direct connection to the landscape. There is a sense of being kind of on the edge of the world. I work in a very experimental way. I see things as material. I see the rock as a material and as, as a stage set. Within that whole process, a certain magic happens. You have to be completely open. I do love the concept of flow as a place where your brain is un unconscious of what it's doing. And I think that's one of the reasons that people think that writing is a mystery. There is no mirror. So it's a place of complete unselfconscious freedom. The clarity of thought that you can have in a place like this is unbelievable. Elemental eating is producing something that is absolutely pure, and simple with no unnecessary embellishments. You just cannot fight with nature in a place like this. If the sea in Ireland taught me how to embody a sense of freedom, the actual experience of riding a wave feels more akin to being an artist or a dancer. So you're literally drawing these lines on the wave. I see it as a creative medium. Just like music or art, coding is creative too. You're using your imagination to make apps, games, robots. It's all about making really cool things, and that's what I really love. We are exporting something about ourselves that resonates for 
cultures all over the world. It's something to do with the heart of it, the authenticity. They feel the energy of the music and the dance. What we have is sort of a surrealness, a darkness, tragedy whacked up against black comedy at times. The audiences, they feel as if what they've done is they've, uh, they've dunked their head into a bit of Ireland and come out the other side and went, wow. I think there's something in the Irish DNA that is creative, curious, and is ambitious enough for itself that we could pay our way in the world. It's not just about getting the fastest computer, it's the application of this computing technology. The future is, by definition, it's under construction. A single note can really just hit you straight in the heart. That's where you want to be. But right down at the, the sharpest point where thoughts come into existence. This is Ireland. An unbounded state of mind. We are maker and poet. We are parent and child. Teacher and student. We are old and new. This is Ireland, the Republic of Creativity. sense of how, how this is now, how we're, we're really projecting ourselves, and it's really, and within that clip, one of the interesting things is, is none of those people were scripted. They were just asked, well, how, what is your, how are you inspired by Ireland? And, and that gives it a sense of authenticity. Uh, and in terms of just our speakers, Pat, uh, Director of Development of the GAA, one of the, arguably the most, you know, omnipresent, <laughs> successful diaspora organisation in the world, as well as, of course, here uh, in, um, in Ireland. Uh, uh, what would your thoughts be in, in, this, in this arena? Yeah, look, there's been enormous growth, uh, John, in the last uh, 10 years for us, as well as in the past, New York, Britain, Australia, Canada, to a certain extent, would be associated with the GA. But what we've seen in the last 10 years is phenomenal growth in Europe, Asia, and the Middle East. It's, it's just mind-boggling. And uh, we had a game in the World Games last year uh, with 56 teams here in Ireland uh, between Oman, uh, some Arabs from Oman, and some kids from the townships in Johannesburg. It's absolutely intriguing. And why do you think that is? Why do you think that there is this, this great you know, energy around the GA around the world now? I think it, it basically provides people for something that they're looking for, that sense of community, that sense of connection, that sense of being together. And uh, that, I suppose we, the previous discussion was about social media. We were never as connected in that context, but we were never as removed either from each other. Yeah. And people are looking for connection, real connection, person-to-person -person connection. We would have seen it at first hand last year, 56 teams in, in UCD, 27 of them native born. But there was a spirit, there was, something, there was something very unique there. And I think it's that sense of connection and that sense of who we are and our ability to bring people together. 
In terms of identity, it's, absolutely, it's huge. Um, and in terms of Etna, in Ottawa, uh, you run uh, one of uh, a small but beautiful festival. Is that what we're talking about? Goliath and David. I've got three Goliaths up here <laughs> because I'm involved with the Irish Film Festival of Ottawa. I think our budget is about $5,000 on a good day. <laughs> Anything over that, you're out of pocket. But um, we are reaching people. We present six movies every year, Irish. One, actually, in the Irish language. We don't get too many attendees of that. We have one for children, and the other four are usually very popular with the people. So over the years, despite all the drawbacks, we've managed to get a crowd. As for technology, well, we have had to hand-deliver tickets because our clientele are not all tech-savvy. We're doing our best. We're not tech-savvy ourselves, which is a real disappointment. But as, can I say something about this movie? Can I borrow that? <laughs> Out of 150. I'm just kidding. But uh, we have several organizations in Ottawa, small organizations. Unfortunately, we haven't found a communication system for all of us to gather under. One umbrella for all of Ottawa would be wonderful. That was something you were saying earlier on. It was just the need for within each of the, around the world in Ottawa, just which would be great if, if the community came together, the cultural community, the Irish cultural community, working closer yeah, together, connecting. Yeah. Umbra, just Ottawa, you know, yeah. because we can reach out to the others from that. But yeah. we don't seem to be able to connect. There's the old established Irish organisations and there's the young upstarts like the Irish Film Festival, the Irish Women's Network, you know, we're all doing the same thing. We're all promoting Irish culture for various reasons. For me, it's a very personal reason because five, six years ago, I went to Ottawa. I went to a series of lectures by a fairly well-known guy in town on Irish immigration, and he ended with a cartoon on the screen of a drunken Irish um, leprechaun. Well, I, I was so livid. So when somebody said we're starting an Irish film festival to counteract this negative, you know, Hollywood type of Irish thing, I was on board from the start. You know, as is Austin, who's here tonight. You know, so. Thank you, and we, we'll come back to that. In, in terms of trying to create, I suppose, cultural beacons and, and things that people can, can, can uh, rally around and, 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 and feel part of and express their identity, arguably there's nothing as, uh, as strong as the Irish Centre in New York City, uh, which, is, uh, which is a great um, institution in itself. Um, I know the government, Minister McHugh and, and, and Minister Humphreys, and, uh, in, in, um, earlier on last this year, committed to fund uh, some of the funding of your big, expansive capital programme. Aidan is family, first generation, his family is originally from Milltown. In, uh, in, on the dad's side, yeah. On the father's side, and Dublin, of course. Yeah. That's right. We won't yeah. and, uh, um, and they, they told us this is on the record, so if you only <laughs> talk about Milltown and we don't talk about Terran, you're the there's going to be a problem when uh, I go home. I'm from Galway, so we're, we're biased. But anyway, um, so we're going to talk about the Irish Arts Centre and the role it plays in, in, in New York and North America and, and just as a beacon in the world. But before we do, Aidan has made a little film for us just to get a sense of what that's all about. So we'll just have a look at that film first. I've had so many great nights at the, uh, the Irish Arts Centre. It's one of those places where... Well, you feel like anything can happen. 
great artists coming together in a supportive, creative environment to engage with the world with honesty, emotion and intelligence and integrity. There's a, a paradox in what we do here and by understanding the traditions that shape us, we can make a future that is something that's entirely new. And by celebrating how we relate to other cultures, we discover more deeply what makes us Irish. By committing ourselves to the very highest of standards, we create an environment where everybody is welcome. A few years ago, we, we realized that much as we love our humble little home here on, on 51st Street, this three-story tenement, it doesn't really reflect the impact of the potential of our culture. We set ourselves on a, on a course to build a new Irish art center. N not just a new building, but a new understanding of who we are and how we engage with the world. place where artists and audiences can challenge themselves, a place where we can laugh at ourselves and develop new ideas, where we can all come together no matter what our background and really be proud of who we are. There is a new Ireland and a new America that's dawning and we need a place where the new voices of Irish America can be nourished and celebrated and born. The new Irish Art Centre is that place. your thoughts on the art centre and its role and, and, and the whole notion of Ireland's culture in the world? Yeah, so, well, thanks again for inviting me to be a part of this, and it's so great to meet so many of our colleagues um, from around the world and, and so many of our partners in government. Um, so maybe just to start with an anecdote, uh, a few years ago I was sitting in that little theatre you just saw in the video there um, listening to a talkback after a performance of a play called The Cambria, um, which is a beautiful uh, play by the incredible writer, playwright, performer, Donal O'Kelly, who many of you may know. Um, and the play is about Frederick Douglass's historic trip to England and then to Ireland, um, which occurred just after the publication of uh, a narrative on the life of an American slave, um, which was effectively Douglass's autobiography. Um, and it was published when there was a bounty on his head. He was an escaped slave. So writers like Donal O'Kelly and uh, Colin McCann and many others have chronicled this story of Douglas in Ireland, but uh, during which he forged a relationship with Daniel O'Connell and they found common cause over the issue of liberation. Um, and so just a quote from Douglas, I started like reflecting on this and I, and I looked at it, just a beautiful quote that I think reminds me of some of what I've seen in the diaspora policy. 
Um, so of his time in Ireland, Douglas wrote, and many have heard this already probably, quote, I can truly say I've spent some of the happiest moments of my life since landing in this country. Um, so when we were programming the Cambria, we were keen to bring what was to us a relatively unknown Frederick Douglass in Ireland story to New York audiences. And so we said, well, let's actually, maybe we won't just do this ourselves. Um, we went uptown and brought on board the Classical Theater of Harlem. And then we said, well, maybe that's not enough. We, re we actually need uh, the story of Douglas from an African-American perspective. So we commissioned Roger Gwynver Smith, who some of you may know, and he's been in pretty much every Spike Lee movie that's ever been made, and had written this beautiful piece called Frederick Douglass Now. So we said, we'll do those in rotating rep. And we said, well, maybe we won't just do that. Actually, let's join the Harlem Arts Alliance. And we did. And then later, we were invited up to Abyssinian Baptist Church, um, where I had the singular experience of my life, which was being referred to by Reverend Calvin Butts as Brother Connolly. So all of this, um, just to go back to that talk back, right? So talk back after one of the performances of the Cambria. And I remember there was a young African-American woman in the house that night, and she stood up. And she said, I may not look it, but I'm probably more Irish than most of you in the room here. I'm half African-American, and I'm half Irish-American. And I just want to thank you for inviting me to celebrate my Irish heritage for the first time. So, tw 23, 24 years old. So, I was reminded of that experience again. I was actually paging through the Diaspora Policy book last night, and it says language as follows, quote, Our vision is a vibrant, diverse, global Irish community connected to Ireland and each other. So, in just sort of kicking off, I would argue that's the most important line in the document, um, and obviously easier said than done. So, our, as we sort of think about this idea of, you know, remaining relevant and plugging into new generations, it just is going to require really vigilant, affirmative efforts uh, to explore these connections with other cultures. And I guess from our perspective, as we express the ethos of our organization, both in word and image and deed, um, we always just try to be mindful of that young woman um, who hadn't felt part of the diaspora until her story was sort of part of that tradition. So I guess just anecdotally, you know, the issue of diversity, I think, is really front and center. And I think, I don't know if Tim O'Connor's here, um, but we were on a panel together in Galway a couple of years ago, and he talked about the 17% of Irish who are not born in this country. And, sort of, and, and then we also were talking about the 70 million or the notional 70 million Irish um, in the diaspora. And so we're sort of thinking about how we connect beyond the usual suspects, sort of try to dwell on the relationship between that 17% not born in this country and the breadth um, and diversity of, of the global uh, diaspora. So, you know, hopefully what came through a little bit in that video is just a sense of ethos. And, you know, we are building a new facility and it's fun to talk about that. But what's more important is really the, the, what Gabriel said, sort of that notion of, well, what is the new Ireland and who gets to be a part of it? Um, and I think that sense of affirmative invitation through our programming choices um, um, is, is key for us. So... Okay, thank you. And I think, as Des talked about it, it's, 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 all, it's all over. I mean, in terms of it's, it's all different. Uh, in, in Ireland here, the way the GA is galvanizing communities to come together and around the world, I mean, you're seeing that now. Yeah, we're seeing 
speaking that, John, I say for the, this coming summer, our, our big event will be the cool camps, and uh, we'll have a cool camp. You know, our kids come for a week during the summer. It was an American idea that we lifted uh, back in the 80s. Uh, ironically, it was uh, the time Ireland qualified for the European Soccer Championships. There was a meeting, the thinking at the time, the sky was going to fall in, the Jays going to finish, this has happened, but it didn't happen, and soccer was subsequently played in Crow Park, and the thing went on. But we had 127,000 kids on Google Camps last year, which is a phenomenal number. And that's basically communities coming together, and that's volunteers doing outstanding work. We help, we organise it, we oversee it, but without the volunteers, they're the backbone of the organisation, really. And uh, we're fortunate to have so many good people. And, and I think it's something we can't continue to take for granted. I think we need to look at how we reward, how we recognise our volunteers, not necessarily in this country, everywhere. So that's a big theme, volunteerism, identity, culture. Now, in terms of the, uh, who would like to kick off from the floor? We want to see lots of uh, questions or comments, and, uh, and the panel will come in as well. Uh, but I know there's no shortage of opinions here, so who will go first? Yeah, just here now. And maybe when you're just, uh, if you just put your hand up, we'll come to you and uh, uh, just tell us who you are, where you're from, or where you represent, and uh, maybe your question or your comment. Certainly. So, hi. Uh, hello, everyone. My name is Sean Fay. I'm the founder of a company called Celtic Turtle, and um, we work on recruiting and relocating people outside of Ireland with Irish companies. So, you'll probably guess by my accent, I'm a blow in myself. Um, and, and the question I have with regards to culture is potentially maybe a contentious one, but is there a place where culture, as well as celebrating being of Ireland, is, would culture encourage people to be in Ireland? Um, it's great, that obviously, the representation from the GAA. I always joke with people that when I lived in London, I lived nearer a GAA club than now when I live in Dublin. But I, uh, the one thing I always point to as a former London Irish rugby player is the IRFU have been very clever in the highest-ranked female rugby player in the women's squad at the moment was a netball player in Newcastle. And hopefully she's in the team that will win the World Cup for us in a couple of months here in Ireland. So is there a place for culture to encourage that? Because surely one of the things, as well as getting people to return, Irish-born people abroad, is there a part of culture that's to encourage the diaspora to actually, rather than the Wild Atlantic way, the Wild Atlantic stay? Oh, good. Wild Atlantic stay, Okay, thank you. Thanks, Sean. Yeah, down here. Uh, uh, Jerry Malumby from um, Nottingham. I've been in Britain for about over 30 years and I run a theatre company and we put on plays and concerts. I just want to make an observation that um, Irish people who have emigrated have brought with them their music, if you think of Kyoltus, and they brought their sport in terms of the GEA. And then yet there's a vibrant amateur dramatic movement in Ireland, but the emigrants for some reason don't, don't get involved so much in... in, in drama and producing drama. It's just an observation I've made over 30 years and I think I can stand by it. I just want to make one other point. Um, whenever I put on a concert or, and I get someone to do the spoken word, whether it be a cameo from a play or um, the poems of John Betjeman about being in Ireland, that's the one thing that gets people talking. What I'm saying is, in terms of creative Ireland, we need to major more, not just on our written word, but someone who can deliver it and uh, uh, the Irish diaspora, like audiences in Britain, from my experience, they love the Irish spoken word. Okay. Well said. Okay. Thank you. Uh, okay. 
Sorry about the delay. Uh, Vince Jordan, Coltus Coltorieron, Nebretna. Um, Coltus has been in Britain for 60 years, and contrary to popular belief, I wasn't there at the start. Um, <laughs> but I learnt my music in Coltus in Britain, and it has taken me, the music has taken me all over the world. And even today, after 60 years, that music and song and dance is continuing in Britain, as I know it is in America and Australia and South Africa and other places. So Pat Daly from the GAA is absolutely right. It's having this uh, idea of community and belonging and ownership. Uh, and I think that's one of the, the things. I, I don't know whether Coltus's work will be sustainable in the future. All I know is that we're in a good place at this time. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Vince. And in terms of in the centenary, we should say that the, uh, one of the, the, the set pieces of the whole year was Makala Nijek Shejek. Makala uh, 1916 was a, a new suite of music that was, that was designed to talk all about, uh, about the, the last hundred years of Ireland. And it got its Irish premiere in the, in the event that the President hosted in the RDS on Easter Saturday with five, five and a half thousand relatives in 1916. At that stage, we were all friends, the relatives. Um, but in terms of, it got its world premiere, uh, Vince, uh, from, who's from Birmingham, in, uh, in, over in, in the Barbican in London. It was a great event. So, and, and I think. 450 branches around the world, Vince, in total. It's, it's a fantastic organization, just like Des in terms of the GA. Now, the lady beside you there. Sorry, I was, I was actually just um, going to make exactly the same points as Vince just made. Um, so okay. I'll just add to them. Uh, it's really nice to see Coltus getting um, the tribute it deserves, because I think the roots of all our music, even the great Martin Hayes, all stem from that dedication um, that Kyoto's has, you know, over many, many decades. The sheer volume and level of voluntary work that uh, Kyoto's people do is just phenomenal. Um, it's just amazing. Um, and I, I speak as a parent. Sorry, I didn't say who I was. My name is Sally Mulready. Um, as, as a parent and as a grandparent, um, my, I, I live in the east end of London, uh, all our kids went through what, we, what they refer to as the Kyoto's experience. Uh, you learn your skill, you learn your trade, and you can play anywhere. And now my two daughters uh, run a folk, um, Hackney School of Folk, uh, where they teach um, music, not, not, but choose to extend it um, to all kinds of music. And the teachers in there come from different cultures um, into, into that um, music school. Um, so what, what I regard that as really important and a real strong link. Um, every Thursday night at 6 o'clock, that's where we are. We're at the School of Folk. Um, and, you know, for me, the identity of my children will always be around music and around culture. Um, in terms of inspiration, Mishaira would always be my inspiration. Sean O'Reilly, if I want to hear something or if I feel a bit low, that's, that's who I go to. Um, so there you go. Great. Thank you, Sally. Thank you, Vince. Uh, William, William there. Yep. Uh, good afternoon, William Edgell from London and Tullamore. I uh, acknowledge the fact that music and song is very important in our culture, but I'd also like to remind everybody uh, that craft and Irish rural life is, is equally as important, and I hope that we're doing something about that, and I wonder what your views are on that. Okay, thank you. Uh, next door there. Thanks, William. Yep. Good afternoon. Um, Paul Lynch, Irish in France. Um, 
question for Pat Daly. Um, I'm a founder member of the GA in Paris, 1995. And um, you spoke about the cool camps. Like at the moment, there's 22 GA clubs in France, more, 22 or more. Is there any plan for the GA to encourage the growth of the sport with grants for cool camps in France and in the diaspora itself? Thanks, Paul. We'll just take two more and then we're going to come to our panel. Okay, just in accolation, beside you there. Yeah, just there. And we'll come to you then in a second after. Yeah. Uh, first, a question and some comments. A question to the RGA representative. We are quite surprised. And, and so, who, and you're just let us Dennis, know. Sorry, Dennis J. Buckley, Irish and Europe Association, Brussels. We are quite surprised and concerned that the GA All Ireland's finals are brought back to the month of August. On outside of Ireland, the holding these games in September was a launch pad of our year of engagement with the diaspora. And this is the year of holidays, the month of holidays, and when pubs, pubs need this, they're the people who've been carrying the banner of Irish culture, especially for the screen of GAA games. That's one comment. The, point, the other point I want to make is the importance of historical links in the role of building new relationships. And I will say this. We, in Irish in Europe, have 185 projects that we identify how to engage using culture. One of the projects is supporting the GA. And this year, we recognised the founder chairperson of the first university GA team in Leuven and in continental Europe, Alan Fitzgerald. The team was the Earls of Leuven. Now, this is the historical link of the flights of the Earls of 1607, continuing to name the history. The flag bearer of the parade was Flemish, and he was recognised because he was a Flemish player playing in the World Games two years ago. And then the, the staff of the Parade Grand Marshal, it's called the Rat Mullen Bow Staff, that represents the flight of the Earls and the beginning of mass emigration in 1607. It was cut over the hills overlooking when the three ships sailed out in September 1607. So I'm giving you a story. The history of Ireland is a story and new stories, and this is how we engage. And I congratulate what the G have doing, but we need to be connecting, realising what you do in Ireland affects everyone around the world who sports GA. Thank you, Dennis. Okay, we have one more contribution here, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll come back to the, we'll come back to, to the floor then in a minute. Do you want me to stand up? Yeah, please. Uh, Berlin. This morning I was very pleasantly surprised by the uh, constant reference to the fact that Ireland, modern Ireland, is a bilingual, uh, inclusive uh, cultural society. And my question, as I said, is to Aidan Connolly. Um, when I was looking at his presentation, I was wondering, I couldn't see either visual or any other references to this aspect uh, of Irish culture. Um, so I wonder, what you th what is he, what is, where does this fit into your ethos? And it reminded me again of uh, Seamus Heaney's reference to uh, going forward to a better future for Ireland, and he expressed the fact that he felt that the Irish language was an es essential element in a creative, better future for Ireland. Your thoughts on that? Go 
And we'll come to that in a second. So we're going to just ask our panel to respond to those. Um, but so we've had a, we've had a very interesting contributions. Uh, but we want to, so we're going to spend the next couple of minutes talking to the panel. So we want to hear your comments and your questions. Uh, when we come back, we'll ask for another batch of questions. Uh, so just think about that. This is a great opportunity. The minister is here uh, to listen to the to, to the comments. Uh, in terms of just our Irish culture, we had a thousand events in a hundred cities around the world for the centenary. A fantastic. But where do we go from here? How do we continue to build on that? I mean, in St. Patrick's Day, we had brilliant things happening all over the world, London and Washington. We've Culture Ireland looking into the future now. So just any thoughts that we can think of how we continue to build this. Uh, but uh, but I'll, I'll um, cut across a couple of specific questions for you, Des, there. But maybe you want to comment generally and then uh, take, take some motions back to Ard Corl after this. <laughs> Yeah, well, look, in terms of the, one of the biggest challenges within the J is to try and get the club county balance right. It's in the newspapers morning, noon and night, every day of the year. And this year at the J Congress, for better or for worse, it was decided in the interest of uh, getting the club county balance right for three years that the All-Irelands would be brought forward by three weeks, played in August, and that would be experimented with. But I think the important thing to remember here, it's in the context of getting the club county balance right. It's not in the context of discommoding anybody. And most definitely, you're right in what you said. The All-Irelands traditionally are associated with September. But something has to be done, because if we're not catering for our core constituency, which is our club players, uh, we don't have a future. We're currently not catering for that constituency. We're not doing it very well. In Dublin alone, in the last couple of weeks, teams were beaten in the Dublin Cup Championship. We're just into May, and their, their year is effectively over. So we have to try and look at how we can address this club county balance. 90% of the club players came out yesterday and said we should get rid of the provincial championships. Needless to say, if you did, that would trigger another battle. So, look, we're in the process of change. We're experimenting, and I think it's in that context that has to be seen. Uh, the comments in relation to France are, are, are well-founded. I would like to pay tribute to John McDonough, uh, former president of Jay, great ambassador, and uh, big man for the diaspora who initiated the whole European drive. We are conscious of the fact that there's been massive development in France. The growth in Gaelic football in, in Brittany is not in short of incredible. Uh, the IRFU asked us recently, would we meet the WRU? Might have to do with 2023, I'm not sure. Uh, in, in the context of what we do in a grassroots context. So now what we're talking about is developing an alliance, a pan-Celtic alliance involving Welsh Rugby Union, the, the people in Brittany and the Shinty people in Scotland. And I think we will begin to make things happen in France and in Europe because they need to happen. I think they've proven through what they've done that we need to get in there and support them. And I would like to think on the back of the increased gate receipts, which we are anticipating on foot of the Super 8s, if I can call it that, that we will be able to win and do more for the diaspora. So I think they were the two specific questions. Right? Thanks, Pat. And in terms of just the general comments you've heard uh, from, the, from, the, uh, from the floor there, have you any reaction to, to what people were talking about in terms of, I mean, the cultists, we, you know, you're representing the GA today, but cultists have played a huge role. They were part of LECRA, which was the expression of in, in, for 1916 in, in, in the centenary, and it goes hand in hand with, with the GA. Well, look, uh, I, I think we, we, we score looks after the music side, the cultural side of the J. But for me, I, can't, I, I talk about the dance, and that's the dramatic arts, music and sport. And I think we should be trying to do things in the context of creative Ireland, in that space. We should be trying to draw those elements together as distinct from, sorry, as distinct from pushing them about. 
And uh, I think we, there's, there's significant growth, uh, room for potential in that space if we can get the dramatic arts, music and sport working together because that's where people express themselves. Now, I hope there's nobody from QQI in the room, Quality Qualifications Ireland, uh, because I've had some titanic battles with them about knowledge, skill and competencies. And just, uh, we're in the business of developing human capacities, life skills and values. That's what we're about as an organisation. And that's what I would like to think everybody in this room is about. It's not bloody knowledge. We've too much of it. We're going to get washed out. Uh, you know, if it was water, we'd be hoping, at the rate at which knowledge is accumulating, uh, if that was water, you'd be hoping no was coming your way because you're finished. So there's too much knowledge, uh, too much irrelevant knowledge uh, coming from too many quarters, and we are losing sight of the capacities, the life skills, and the values that people need. And Kyoto does it, the J does it, and we collectively as a country have to do it, China. And I think you're in a great position to do something like that. Well said, Pat. Great point. And, uh, and, and that's the very essence of the Creative Ireland programme is about the participation, driving participation and cultural activity in its broadest sense is good for us, good for our well-being, good for our country, good for our relationships. Now, in terms of, um, we were talking Ethan earlier on, that, that you, just you're keen to, that the expression of Irishness overseas isn't the kind of stereotype. And how do you think we need I to... I agree with the gentleman there who said we're more than dancing and we're yeah. more than, you know, well, traditional uh, music. We attended um, one of our Creative Ireland workshops in Tullamore, should they say? Yes, I certainly agree with you. And um, you'll be happy to know that for Ottawa 150, we have a textile boot even if it consists of me knitting my little fingers off and my sisters down in Cork collecting old lace and making patterns for us and beseeching people for examples of tweed. We do have it. We will have a weaving there for children to learn and I'm hoping to have a spinning wheel. On the negative side of that, we had about 20 people at a meeting and we suddenly realized, oh, the space we have has 20, uh, I don't know what they call them, to hang art. Well, nobody around the table could come up with the name of an Irish artist in Ottawa. We finally did, thank goodness, but it was a bit of a struggle. The arts, other than the Irish dancing and the Irish music, again, I must go back to Austin. He does a great job of putting in new music on his radio, introducing a little more than the original, where I think our future lies with new people. But, of course, you've dampened that hope, because I was hoping to piggyback on the IGAA, you know, and get all our new members from them. But certainly we should be doing a little more in the other arts. Yeah. It's very difficult. We did get a young man, and you know him, Austin, he is writing an original piece, Ottawa 150 for 150. I, feel, I think that's a feather in my cap. I really had to work for that, rather than, because we have tons of dancers, we have tons of people popping up with traditional music. But, you know, we go beyond that. We've got the best, one of the best violinists in Canada is right there in Ottawa. And they won't say, who? Well, it's Kevin Mellon. He's, you know, he taught in Cork, don't you know? That said, at the embassy did do a great deal for the opera when he was in charge of the opera house there. They even had the marriage of Figaro. I think they had the stag party at the embassy. So that was absolutely wonderful. But it was a one-off deal. No, you know, we never hear of anything else again. We never get really, if somebody comes in, it's Clancy and Macon. You know, I would like to see modern Irish, even if 
if I, if I consider Wilkinson modern, even he'll do me right now, you know, just somebody other than, um, I shouldn't say it, I won't say the name of <laughs> my kids said, don't take us to him, we're not listening to him. But they will go to Wilkinson, they will go and hear Kevin Mallon, they will go and hear the modern Irish music. So we've got to find some way to blend the two, softly, softly bring them in, but combine them. A little bit like River Dance did, yeah. you know? Well, well said. Yeah, well said. Uh, I'll just gloss over the fact that you said there was a stag party in the embassy. I mean, I knew things were bad <laughs> in financially, but I, I didn't think, Minister, we were going quite... Going, I'm joking, I'm joking. Um, no, that's, that's a great point. And I might ask Christine Siskin in a few minutes to comment because Culture Ireland are doing huge work to really get a very diverse portfolio of our creative talent into the international yeah, scene right. their centre. Yeah. This makes me green with envy what they're doing and what, they're, what they have the funds to do. To and one of the points is diversity. diversity. And we, in, in Creative Army, we a, week, a couple of weeks ago, we had an event, Krinyanokoska, which, which translates as meeting at Easter time, with half a million people came, and it was all about diversity. And in that notion of diversity that Saporak talked about, Kunar Changa, our language, I mean, do, right. you, do you want to respond to that? And, and yeah, yeah, I think, uh, Park, you were asking about visual arts and language. Did I remember? The, the Irish language, the role of the Irish language. Oh, it's just the Irish language, okay. I thought it. Yeah, overall, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, it's a fair point. I don't think the video exhibits uh, the Irish language uh, as effectively as it should relative to its place in our program, which is actually quite robust. In fact, I think just two or three weeks ago, we had a day-long Irish language program. Um, we have Irish language classes uh, weekly, very high demand, really great teachers, really important part of the overall program. Um, so um, it's it's great. I appreciate the point actually because it's you know it's important in these videos that you know you, it's hard to achieve full comprehensivity because um, you're really just trying to communicate a spirit and what have you. Um, but it's a, it's a fair point. Um, but it is an important part of the program for sure. And in terms of uh, Terry made the point there about the. The, the diaspora, some tradition, not getting involved in drama. I mean, drama is a huge part of where you see things going into the further art centre. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, it, it's tricky to sort of look, it's not our job at a fundamental level, or I should say, it's not our, our, our um, role to sort of decide what disciplines, uh, right, uh, or, or you want to try to avoid to a certain extent. Um, over legislating like what is possible, particularly when you're developing, uh, you know, a physical asset like a building. Nevertheless, obviously, you have to make very practical decisions about what spaces are you able to make and, and, and what are those spaces equipped to do. But we have, in the development of this facility, uh, first of all, interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people to get lots of direct practitioner inputs about what's most important. Um, and, and, what's, and what's ideal. And then to try to have a sense of um, a, a creativity around what might emerge. So obviously you need to make sure that you've got spaces that can deliver the organization as you know it and as you see it growing. But also the idea of flexibility to allow for um, the evolution of forms that's occurring. There's all kinds of cross-disciplinary work happening. Visual art, you know, like what the canvas is for visual art is really an open question anymore. Um, a lot of visual artists now working in lots of different media. So, so it's, it's, it's a tricky one. So I guess for us, there's, you know, you sort of want to develop the best building you can that serves as much of the program as you can currently see it and as it might emerge 
within the you know practical constraints of getting things done in anywhere, and particularly New York City. But then it's about what's the institution you're trying to build alongside that, and, and how do those converge? And in a way, like the sort of notion of being as open source as we can about that, so that institutionally we're, we're remaining a sense of transparency and communication and connectivity, so that people can kind of come to us with their ideas, and that institutionally we've got the ability to respond and and, and hopefully, one of the most important things that we do is just build a network of artists across a range of disciplines, a support base, media environment, audience base, government relationships. So you're sort of aggregating a community, growing it, so that that can be deployed to whatever set of values emerges in whatever set of communities over time, which isn't something that you can sort of fix and legislate you know, on whatever today is, May the 4th, 2017. But I think that point of a diverse program, and, and as Terry said, trying to encourage a much wider group of people. I know the Irish language is actually a huge part of the Irish Abroad agenda and thinking. Katrina, you're going to be working on that and looking at how we support the Irish language. Minister McHugh, of course, was minister for Anchanga for us. So it is a big part of identity. Uh, Pat was talking about identity and who we are and, 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 and looking at the future. So, okay, who's, who'd like to make a comment? All right, start here at the front. เรามีมาจากก็เคาะเอาตัวสะดุ้งสวิมฟิชชั่นอรินชเปนฮาร์บอร์อากัสเลียนชาอันโฮมอสกิโดเอ่ออาจจะเซ็นต์ดัตวิ
Um, Siobhan Gorman from Sandwell Irish Society based in West Bromwich. Um, a couple of things when, uh, when Pat was speaking about um, Gaelic football. Uh, we did a fantastic um, Gaelic football initiative for a number of years in, in the borough of Sandwell. And absolutely fantastic, engaging maybe about over the seven years that we did it, you know, 2,000 young people now were a very, very, very small organisation. But one of the great things where we'd got a bit of art in, we asked the children from the schools to um, create a shield for the Black Country Schools GAA, which reflected their, their version of Irish, what, what, you know, being Irish or what Ireland represented, and also their own local area. And there was far more information from lots of children who weren't of Irish backgrounds that they knew about Ireland than they did about their own country. Um, which, which was a very interesting project. Uh, another little project that we did, um, and I empathise very much with someone who mentioned about crafts and what, um, what Ethna said, uh, we did a project with um, one of our girls who was a Sandwell Rose of Tralee some years ago. Um, she was a textile artist and she uh, went into a school and worked with, I think there was a, a whole year group anyway, about 120 children, where... I went in with her and we told the story of the children of Lur, and they then created with this textile work, created the things, fantastic way of bringing in our, you know, folklore and legends into being creative. And someone mentioned the flight of the earls as well. That would be another way of bringing part of our history into, um, into doing things. So there's lots of little ways that you can um, do things and, 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 and incorporate and, and, and you know, connect the history and the folklore and the traditions um, and the sport with um, with oh something as well that um, that Aidan mentioned. Um, oh gosh, I don't know if it was relevant to what Aidan. It's gone, but it was it was another little. Oh yes, um, the Irish language. We. Um, I've done it for, for a number of years around St. Patrick's. They go in, teach a class of children um, a couple of Irish poems, and they, they come and recite them at our St. Patrick's Day celebration. Very, very simple. Children are going out of the classroom to their break, singing, you know, these Irish poems that we've taught. It's not, it doesn't cost a lot of money. It's, it's, you know, relying on volunteers. But some great projects that can kind of span sport, culture, history, folklore, and language. Very, very simple ones. Hey, thank you, Siobhan. Well said. Well said. I'm going to go here. Thank you. Yeah, start ahead. Uh, Catherine Barry, Irish Culture Bay Area in San Francisco. Um, so, after 20 something years of working with Irish arts and culture in San Francisco, I realized the left hand still didn't know what the right was doing with different organizations. So, I launched Irish Culture Bay Area about two years ago. Um, showcasing what 22 hard-working organizations are doing because they don't have time to promote them as much as they should by themselves. So, and it's worked. Just Ethna, something you might consider in your community in Ottawa to do something like this. It's a fairly easy template website. People can submit their own events and that makes the difference. And I had a, a, a lone writer from the suburbs call me up and say thank you for letting me come out of the shadows and, you know, have my event, my little tiny writing course on your website. And it's, it, it's helped, I believe. Um, and I'm a big fan of people working together. Maybe it's because I'm the middle of a big family kid and I like people to get on and work together. Um, 
So I guess my question, and then somebody at one of the workshops mentioned how the Abbey Theatre had an event in the next town, and she didn't know about it for her Irish Centre in Cincinnati. Um, so this kind of thing shouldn't go on this, in this day and age with all the social media and technology we have. Um, and I mentioned at that workshop that, you know, short of having a cultural attaché with the consulates around America, and, and also, by the way, we're very America-centric with our arts discussion today, and I know there's every other country here being represented. So my question, I guess, John, is, is there anything in the Creative Ireland initiative that would allow for us to talk, to speak to each other? Um, like something like this is obviously fantastic and we can help each other today but um, how can we build that up to have a bigger conversation not just nationwide and where I am but you know globally and lastly I, I also put on an Irish Writers Festival to really showcase contemporary Ireland as well in a needed area of southern Bay Area um, and anyone who's put on a festival or a concert or a anything knows how much hard work it is to put on the show get the people over it's a long way for people to come and then they go back they go back again instead of going to portland and seattle and la while they're over there and so we, we need to learn how to speak to each other and i don't know how that might happen but um yeah so that's my but yeah, thank, you. thank you very much yeah well said um we, uh, we, we'll come back to the panel in a minute and in terms of that the um the, the, this is exactly why, why we're here in terms of Katrina and Anne and, and, and all I want to hear people's ideas and how we connect. Just, I'm going to cut to Christine here next, next door here just, just, and then we're going to go down the corner here to, down to, uh, uh, yeah. thanks Christine. Christine Hi. heads up uh, Culture Ireland. Yeah, and I, there'll be many um, cultural centres here that we work closely with and that we're very familiar with, but there's uh, clearly a few that were, were not. Um, and just a couple of things to say in relation to, we are having a session that I'm moderating tomorrow in relation to culture programming, and I think, I think we'll be able fast. to get into these issues a little bit more. But what we're looking at uh, imagining an Irish culture for the future, um, I think we probably all looked at those videos and probably didn't pick up on how amazing contemporary Irish culture is as projected through the likes of Enda Walsh that's being presented this weekend in the Irish Arts Centre. Like the Mark O'Rourke, fantastic playwright, appeared there as well as Lenny Abrahamson. And Irish culture is really at the cutting edge and amazing things happening and they're being programmed into fantastic high-level venues worldwide. So I think we have to recognise that and then see how we can also ensure that it gets to all the corners of the world that we're talking about here and into other smaller venues and other spaces. Now we continuously try and do, as Catherine said there, link people and get better value. What Culture Ireland does is it offers travel accommodation support for Irish artists to travel abroad as well as creating those opportunities for them. So for example, South by Southwest this year, 13 Irish bands travelled to South by Southwest to present in front of international presenters and to try and gain further contracts. One of those, at least I know, went on to the Irish Arts Centre in New York. Others could be going to LA, they could be going to Chicago. We would love to harness when we have supported their travel to get them to spread as far as possible. I know that's happening. We're not, we don't want to be US-centric here. I know it's happening with the London Irish Centre. Gary Dunn has done it for the Great Escape when bands are in the UK, is programming them into the centre. So there are those opportunities, and we'd really welcome that conversation to see how much more we can make it happen. 
Cultural Ireland supports all art forms, and that is from circus, architecture, literature, theatre, music, dance. So people shouldn't feel film the whole spectrum. So people shouldn't feel, if you're feeling you're running a culture centre and you're a little caught in an art form and you want to extend out to that, please talk to us. What we do is we showcase both at home and abroad. So in Ireland, dance festival, theatre festival time, literature festival time, we bring international programmers in to see Irish work when it's being presented here with a view to it being selected and presented abroad. Um, but as I say, we, we'll have a, a more detailed conversation on this tomorrow, but I think just to follow up on today's news is that um, Culture Ireland is having a focus on Britain next year. So for 2018, there's a focus on Irish culture in Britain, and we'd really welcome all the centres, programmers, presenters who are here to start thinking how best we can showcase Irish culture next year in Britain. Thanks, Christine. And uh, just in case, just in case, uh, just in case you didn't get catch that breaking news, bre breaking news, just in, yeah, Minister Humphreys has announced a big uh, program looking for expressions of interest today uh, for for uh, to work with Christine and the team in Culture Ireland to really showcase the best of Irish culture in in Britain next year. We're going to come over here next, Dan. Yeah, thank you. Hi, thanks. My name is Maura Doolan. I'm the Cahillock Liverpool Irish Centre. Um, and I'd just like to say I'm Irish and I'm Scouse and I'm proud and very thrilled to be here today to represent the second generation of Irish in Liverpool. Um, I just want to say with regards to representing a new Ireland, there's lots of initiatives that the diaspora are doing and it's not necessarily on the national scale. I wear many hats. I'm also the Cahillock for the northern region of Kilda's Kultori Erin. But we, like uh, Pat said from the GAA, it's really important that we have that cohesion between our groups and in order to for that inclusivity. And it's really important that Coulters, the GAA, like the Gaelic League, start getting back to the roots of working together through failure, through score, through our competitions to actually build stronger uh, foundations. We have fantastic links in Liverpool. We have two Gaelic teams, All Tones and John Mitchells, and they work inclusively with us in the Irish Centre to support our young ones and developing teams. And some of our representatives are going to failure um, at the end of June. But I'd like to also talk about the work we're doing with uh, Irish travellers. And I think, listen to the debate here today, it's one aspect of our culture that has not been discussed. Um, and it needs to be because of our inclusivity and to break down barriers for discrimination. We in Liverpool Irish Centre are looking to work with a um, a phenomenal uh, Irish traveller who's based in London who actually writes Pavey songs. And he's coming to teach children to set a choir, our children through Coulters, to actually learn the songs of the Pavey and then actually look to go on a little uh, mini tour singing those songs with Fian. And I think it's really important to help down, break down discrimination and barriers that through our music, through our song, through our dance and our language, we can do that and educate young people to the acceptance of difference. And that's what we're really doing. We also did a lot of commemorations for 1916. I'm really proud to say locally we told the story of the Liverpool contribution to 1916. That, that, that we went over, we took part in Kimmage Garrison and we fought soldier to so, shoulder to shoulder in that battle and we actually had internment, people were, you know, came back, they were stripped naked, walked through the streets of Liverpool to embarrass them and our play was called The Liverpool Lambs written by second, third generation people in Ireland who are proud of our history, our culture and our future. So going forward we need to continue to work and develop it. Also we have Irish language where young children learn 
you know, nursery rhymes and stuff in Irish. We, we've done that. We actually have children asking for sweets at our tuck shop in Irish because our languages are so much important to us, and if we don't promote it, it will die for the diaspora. They're just some of the ideas in Liverpool, but I really do think we need to do more um, integration with regards to working with the travellers through our culture, through the arts, to ensure that all our community is included. Thank you. John McCourt from Rome and Dublin. Uh, I think we also need to remember that we're also European, and I think that's increasingly important in the context of Brexit and that our creative artists, many of them became who they are because they went to Europe, because they engaged with European thought. And I think some, sometimes in this discussion we, we lose sight of that and also of the Irish presence within Europe, which particularly quickly disappears in the second generation. And yet, in a country like Italy, you have Kyoltus, you have the GAA, you have a network which remains quite hidden, I think, and which can be brought out. And so I think it's very important the kind of things that Culture Ireland are promoting also in, in, in countries like Italy. Uh, translation of Irish um, novels and plays um, to, to make them available to a much wider market. We need to make our cultural case in Europe and I don't think we're, we're yet doing that with anything like the effectiveness which it's being made, for example, in the United States. So it's just a word for, for the Irish in Europe. Okay, John, thank you. Thank you, well said, John. We'll come over here next. and then John Austin, Camerton, Irish Radio Canada. Uh, to echo what Ethna was saying about the organizations in Ottawa particularly, uh, Ottawa has a population of about 900,000 and about 40% would claim to be of Irish heritage. And there's probably 18 to 20 Irish organizations, of which there's 18 to 20 silos. Um, and in that, when I look down through it, like there's one of the problems we have is we in, we're integrated, like at the moment outside Mullingar is showing in one of the regular theaters. There's the Ottawa Animation Festival and there would be Irish movies at that. There's a Writers' Fest and it's not an Irish Writers' Fest, but there would be Irish writers at it. Coltus is struggling to the point that Coltus at the Cayleys, which were vibrant 10 years ago, are down to maybe 20 or 30 people, if they're lucky now, once a month. Uh, the Ottawa Gales, fantastic, doing really well. There's now hurling has been introduced. And the Ottawa Gales have successfully managed to get into the school system in Canada, high school system, teaching Gaelic football to high school students as part of the program. Um, Rosa Tralee, and again, that was an in initiative to try and have something that would engage young people. Um, the Ottawa Film Festival, relatively new organization, very, very vibrant. Rugby, um, there's um, a Darcy McGee exhibition being prepared for Canada 150, and Tommy Fegan is here, and there's a strong relationship between the Darcy McGee Summer School. Uh, but all, a lot of these things are in silos, and when Edna mentioned that we're looking for an artist, a name immediately popped into my head of an art, a resident artist. For 11 years, I tried to put out a newsletter every month when I was broadcasting over the air. It was like pulling hen's teeth to get the organizations to submit their information. Um, and it was on the last day of every month, 20th of the month, submit your information, 25th of the month, second reminder, first of the month, email went, 
with practically very little input from the various Irish organisations. So it's an uphill battle to try and achieve coordination. And I don't blame anyone. It's everyone has their own interest, and it's not a negative vested interest. It is that they have limited resources, and they're trying to make their pet love survive. And they don't have the bandwidth to give it elsewhere. Uh, so we're stretched as, as a, a diaspora, we're stretched. We have a lot of culture, we have a lot of interests. It's not as if we have just one thing. It's, there's this wealth of richness, but we don't have the wealth of people to bring it forward from there. Thank you. Thanks, John. Um, the next lady here, and then, and then we'll take it back to the, to the panel, and then we'll come back out again then. Thank you. Hi there. I'm Cara Sanquest, London Irish Abortion Rights Campaign. Um, We've heard a lot today about how to engage young people, and as someone who identifies as a young person, um, I want to talk a bit about what my group does. Do you have... I'm, I'm young. I'm 25. <laughs> um, we've been quite successful in London in a relatively short space of time in engaging um, about 1,000 young people in what we're doing to campaign to repeal the Eighth Amendment. We do that through lots of different events and activities. Um, so I think that perhaps... And one thing that we've seen is that Irish people who are abroad, who are maybe of my generation, the thing that makes them interested in Ireland, the thing that makes them want to give back to Ireland is that idea of creating a new Ireland and the Ireland that they want to see and an Ireland they want to be proud of. And we saw that obviously with marriage equality referendum and we're seeing that again now on the issue of abortion. Um, so I think having these kind of social issues and pinning diaspora activities to social issues can be a really effective way of engaging with the Irish diaspora. And I wanted to ask perhaps Aidan to talk about um, how the New York Irish Arts Centre has done that. I know you had a visit from Panty, and I'm sure that um, attracted a lot of interest. Um, so maybe you can give some advice to other um, diaspora organisations about how culture has a role in... Um, engaging the diaspora and young people and perhaps being one step ahead of the sort of political situation, social situation in Ireland. Okay, Karen, I think that they, certainly the Home to Vote campaign was a big energy for part of the marriage referendum. Okay, so we've got lots of diverse opinion and uh, yes, Katrina? Maybe just, could we just get a microphone here to Katrina, please? Yeah. Uh, so we're just going to go to the, to the panel to take, take some views on that. Uh, but before, before we just... Thanks a million, John. Just to say, um, in listening to what people are saying about cohesion and things like this and trying to get organisations to work together, maybe just to say that we would very much like to see shared projects or shared applications for funding. Um, we don't see too many at the moment, um, just off the top of my head, but I think maybe if that could be something that could come out of this conference, if organisations, be they organizations who currently do different things in the same geographic location could get together and, and put a proposal to us, or even organizations that do similar things in different locations. So we're very open to kind of to new ways of working or to encouraging new ways of working. So just to say that if people have ideas, don't feel, um, I think sometimes with the Emigrant Support Program, people feel, well, if we put in a new application for something else, we might not get the funding we already get. Now, obviously, we have, I think this year we have 20 million worth of applications in for 11 and a half million worth of funding. So obviously we have to prioritize. But I think I can say here that we will prioritize shared projects. Um, 
because in response to these issues that people are raising about um, about cohesion and, and the need to work together. And also just to say, I know um, some of the other issues that have been raised around the Irish language and, and travellers, um, our, kind of, our work programme for the first part of the year um, obviously was to deliver the Civic Forum, the review of the Emigrant Support Programme of the kind of the nuts and bolts of it and the review of the implementation of the diaspora policy but we're hoping in the latter part of the year maybe to drill down a bit into some of the constituent parts of that diaspora policy and our work um, and particularly around some of the issues around um, mental health uh, travellers and the Irish language I think are going to be three that we'll, we'll prioritise insofar as we can to try and see um, what are we funding at the moment and then if we can, um, can fund new projects or if there's better ways that we can um, make our funding have more of an impact. I mean, just on the Irish language, when we looked at the figures, uh, we saw that we have funded over the past five years almost a half a million uh, to the Irish language, but none of us really knew that we did that because we fund 6,000 here and 1,500 euro here and maybe 28,000 here, but actually it really adds, all adds up. So just to say we are listening and I think some of the suggestions that are being made here uh, fit in very well with the direction that we'd like to see our own funding go. So just to come in on that point, thanks John. Thanks Katrina. And I think it's a very open invitation to be able to collaborate, to work together and not necessarily recreate the wheel and share ideas and, uh, and, and there's lots of examples, Catherine's example in San Francisco. I see Mike Fierick down the back, Ireland reaching out, a huge success, over 100,000 people registered in terms of Ireland working, a big online platform and how we can build on that kind of stuff. Uh, in terms of, uh, Pat, what you've heard today and just maybe your summary thoughts, the clock has, is running against us now, but you know, this whole notion of volunteerism, of connecting, of working together, I mean, the wellness, I mean, how do you think we need to take this on? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, look, I, I, my estimation, whether it's national, regional, global, energy, if you want to get it, whether it's old, modern, it doesn't make any different values are central to the whole thing. Have we got a set of values? And what are those values? Uh, in my estimation, I try to put English on it, and I finished up with I'm old team. That's the set of values we have. And that's the first letter in each of the ten values, starting with integrity, modesty, objectivity, unity, loyalty, dignity, tenacity, empathy, authenticity and maturity. That's what makes us what we are. That's what will always make us what we are. That's what resonated with uh, Alex Ferguson when he saw it. And I think if we can get out there, I'm all team, that's central to what we're about. That's all about values. And at the end of the day, that's what Irish society is all about. And um, Pat, are you, are you had some thoughts on how maybe we might take this on or formalise that? Yeah, well, the, the, the idea with that, John, is that the MBA is well known to people, uh, Masters of business, business Administration. I'd like to get something like the MVA out there, a Master of Value Laden Acumen. And that would be for people who major in the dramatic arts, music and the sport, who volunteer their time, who do tremendous work and who develop human capacities like competence, confidence, commitment, conviction, connection, management and leadership capability that comes from experience and reflection. Those kind of capacities that beget life skills and then that are grounded in our moral team. I'd love to see a qualification. I'd love to see Ireland becoming the world centre for the MVA. This is a qualification that stands up. It's a qualification we're proud of and we can take it to the world.
Well, that's putting it up to us. Uh, thanks very much, Pat. Um, in terms of that, there's lots of contributions there uh, from, the, from the floor, but, but um, Maura in particular talked about down in, over in uh, Liverpool. She didn't mention the Diaspora Band, uh, the Beatles, which, of course, is from Liverpool as well, uh, one, of our, one of our more famous exports. But um, just the, uh, the, your thoughts from hearing the floor in terms of the role culture plays to bring our identity together overseas? Well, I think we're doing the best we can, but I don't know how far it's working. We do, we do try very, very hard, but we have very great difficulty getting volunteers and holding on to the volunteers. We need new blood very badly. Our values at the Irish Film Festival, one was to promote the Irish language. That was one of our major ones. We do that by having an Irish language film, but we get support from Colt, uh, not support, we get sponsorship from Coltis, but we get no support. So, you know, it's it's something that's lacking in Ottawa, I think. We've got to get seats out there. Other than that, so many people are working, so many volunteers, all doing it for the love of Ireland, all doing it to promote Irish values and Irish culture. And yet we seem to be panning down. You know, We're not vibrant like the GAA, and he won't let us piggyback. So. Well, I think it's important that we build on that, and I think that's why, why we're here today to, to talk, about, talk about all that. In terms of just that diversity and the way Ireland expresses itself, uh, Siobhan talked about what's happening in terms of uh, the, the work you do in St. Patrick's Day and reaching into the communities. Aidan, what's your sense in I mean, yeah. New York, this melting pot, yeah. and the role Irish culture can play there? Yeah. Well, if you th- and so many great points, actually. I was like feverishly taking notes. So if I can, I just want to like rapid fire kind of address a few of them, if I could. So just interesting point about the whole idea of St. Patrick's Day, and it reminded me of our – we had an orientation around how – St. Patrick's Day is uh, – this is a little crass, I guess, but it's an asset – um, it's, it's, a, it's a moment in the calendar when all of our visibility expands dramatically. And so the question is, what do you do with that? And so we have tended to want to use St. Patrick's Day to surprise or to, you know, or to, you know, or to affirmatively push back on the drunk leprechaun, maybe even more. And, and, and so we created a, a program actually inspired by um, an organization in Washington, D.C. called Solus Nuo, which is a very simple book day where we are out in all five boroughs of New York City distributing thousands and thousands of donated books, um, overstock from publishers of Irish authors, and we're out across the five boroughs just simply giving away free literature. We engage the writers and what have you. Gets an awful lot of media attention. I mean, we're, you know, we're in New York and we're fortunate, but around St. Patrick's Day, I suspect it's true that most media platforms are, are looking for Irish content, and you can control what you give them um, at that moment. And so I, I think it's just a great opportunity. So thinking about... How we, how we express ourselves on St. Patrick's Day, you know. I mean, we get a call from Good Morning America every year, and one year it was so unbelievably offensive. It was this kind of business. And we're like, well, you know what, we're just not going to do that, actually. But um, if you'd like, we'd be, we'd be thrilled to send over half a dozen authors, and yes, we're happy to organize some singers and dancers for you as well. But, you know, so we have an ability to control the conversation on St. Patrick's Day. Um, the whole issue around connectivity and talking more, I think that's I can already tell that's going to be a really great outgrowth of this forum. Um, and I know that for us, we view it as a responsibility as our Art Center grows to, you know, we have a, a large volume of programming um, in New York, and we now program that on anywhere from 8 to 16 months lead time. All working together requires is convening a conversation and lead time. And I think that if we can 
find those opportunities, and government can probably play a role in convening those conversations, maybe not necessarily controlling the conversations, but convening the conversations and giving, you know, just reminding people, and I think Katrina's idea is a brilliant one to sort of inspire folks to do uh, joint applications. But that is just something, you know, anybody who's interested in anything that we're programming, we are only too eager. We're, if it's something that started here, we're enduring all the brain damage to, like, get all the visas, get everything sorted out. The work gets made. It lands in New York. We are only too thrilled for that to sort of network out further. Quick point on Europe. It was interesting, you know, because there is a lot of contemporary work that's heavily inspired by Europe. And interestingly, the appetite for that work is very high in New York. And I think, so again, it's like the issue of siloing and finding other, you know, maybe not obvious modes of collaboration. You know, a lot of the work that Christine and Culture Ireland would support that goes, you know, is hugely successful at major European festivals. Um, there's significant demand for that work in New York. So I think just kind of joining all of that up is, um, is, is valuable. And then lastly, I don't mean to filibuster. Um, they're, apparently they're about to, you know, uh, uh, get rid of the filibuster in my country, so I might as well try it over here. That's um, fake news. That's fake news. But, fake news. <laughs> but um, on social issues, I mean, yeah, we, you know, we had Panty at the Arts Center inspired by that noble call speech at the Abbey, I mean, which, you know, predated the marriage equality. Um, it was really just about the idea of an artist and a human being standing on the street corner standing on the street corner, standing on the street corner, um, checking, checking himself, checking herself against privilege. And it was really that speech at the Abbey Theater that inspired us to say, you know what, this is a cultural moment that needs to be seen in New York. Um, and then it was interesting, we programmed that, and then the timing was such that it, it kind of happened in and around all the marriage equality stuff. So it, w it was wonderful, but I think that you know, we just just trying to keep our eyes and ears open to what's happening, trying to be as present on the ground over here, try to sort of shrink the Atlantic Ocean as much as we can and just keep that so that we, we, we have a, a – so that there's not that distortion of what Irish culture is. And, and part of that is just staying on the ground as, as to what the issues are. To the other point about how can art empower social issues – I can't remember now where it came from, but, I mean, a simple thing, you know – government initiatives or institutional initiatives to simply commission artists to make work about a particular topic. Um, just write, someone write them a check and let them go make their work about a particular topic. Um, so, anyway. Uh, okay, th thanks very much. Um, so just one, one lastly, the last word uh, with you, Pat. Senator O'Clarty talked about the notion of culture playing a big role in well-being, mental health. I mean, we can't medicate uh, everybody. This is a much bigger question in terms of how society evolves. And you have a very kind of inspired view of, of how the whole thing joins up. Maybe do you want to just give a sense yeah, of Yeah, well, just, just basically on that, John, we talk about play to stay well. And uh, if you look at the United Nations, they have 17 goals, sustainable development goals. And the first of those is, um, is uh, poverty, second is hunger, third is wellness, and the fourth is learning. So play to stay well, basically. The well is we and lifelong learning, because that's the essence of wellness. There's a we in there, and there's lifelong learning in there as well. And I think they're essential requirements. Uh, this is a learning exercise, tremendous learning exercise. I think if we, can, if we can get that out there, if we can get the essence of play to stay well out there, that's our mission. That's what we want people within the J to do. We want them to play to stay well. And it's well in a biopsychosocial and a spiritual context. Somebody said to me, what's the spirit? The values speak to your spirit. No values, the spirit dies. If the spirit dies, you're in trouble. 
and then there's thinker, doer, becomer. And I think that's the space we really need to get into. The biopsychosocial and the spiritual combined with the thinking, the doing and the becoming. And we really can become then who we are. And that's a very creative nation. And the final word, John, when I was in college many moons ago, uh, one of our lecturers, Stefan Henrikon, who was an outstanding person uh, up in St. Pat's College in Drumcondra, the teacher training college, he would say, isn't it unbelievable? We'll go to every country in the world and we'll take what they have and we'll swallow it hook, line and sinker. And we're, in the, we're the most imaginative, creative race in the world. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, we have one last item just to finish this, uh, this panel off. Uh, we have, we were in the, one of our filmmakers is here with us today, uh, Morris Fitzpatrick. And Morris has uh, made a short film. I'm oh, sorry, not a short film. This is a short clip of a film uh, about the story of John Hume and has managed to support, uh, but harness support in the US for his efforts towards achieving peace in the North. So we're going to just play a little clip from that. But before we do, uh, could I just ask you to join me in saying a big, big thank you to Pat, to Etna, to Aidan for coming. I'll be part of today and really doing a big, big part. And, uh, we'll, um, and thank you. Thank you. I'm going to ask uh, Minister McHugh is outside deciding who's got the best question. Uh, and so the prize will be outside. No, you're not. Uh, so we'll just finish on this clip. And Gurumila Mahagad Gakdina Vishay Gahanawa on session show. So we'll finish with this clip. Thank you very much. Born into a background of injustice and division. John Hume was a decisive leader of the civil rights movement in Northern Ireland in 1968. First, he was real. And secondly, he didn't seem to have an agenda other than the one he was pursuing. He wanted an inclusive peace. And he thought that nonviolence was the best way to pursue it. He was the Irish conflict's Martin Luther King. John Hume resolutely pursued a peaceful path throughout the Northern Irish conflict. Before we even got there, you opened fire. This is the story of how John Hume harnessed the political influence of the Irish-American diaspora to address that legacy of division and to achieve peace. I think he understood language to be part of the problem, the ability to speak the language of the American politic better than them is a plus. Tip took his lead of what John was saying. I would say in those days Tip was taking it far more from John than he was from the Irish government, quite frankly. The State Department was not in favor of what I did, as you may know, uh, but I didn't really consult with them too thoroughly. There was some broken China there. There were, you know, I had a lot of trouble with the British for a brief period, but I trusted Hume's instincts. But then you had the American influence, which was a very strange thing for British politics. It wasn't just the risk of alienating the British, it was also the risk that I would stick my neck out and IRA violence would continue and I would look like I'd been played for a fool. I am standing here and telling the government that I believe that we have a real process of lasting peace and a total cessation of violence. Hurry up and deal with it. He grabbed me by the wrists and held my hands and said, look, you can do it. You're near it. In 1998, the Good Friday Agreement was signed and roundly endorsed in referenda on both sides of the Irish border. And the Northern Irish troubles ended. Hume's strategy had become a political reality.
And uh, that's a great example. I think that, that is a... And a wonderful example of film, which we're talking about.